That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jakey, Jakey, Jakey! Aaron Zimmerman, here we are talking about uh, once again, we've uh, come around and uh, we have landed on Trinity Sunday. And so, also known as the first Sunday after Pentecost also known as um, uh, the Sunday where a lot of people preach heresy. (laughs) Also known as the Sunday where a lot of people don't come to church. Also known as the Sunday where people stop coming to church until after Labor Day. This is September. Yeah, Yeah. Memorial Day weekend, May 30th. Uh, So, folks, uh, we're going to help you hopefully not preach heresy but, and also preach a thoroughly orthodox sermon on the Holy Trinity, that mysterious doctrine, and, uh, but also make sure it connects not just with the head but with the heart. Because as St. Paul says, um, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And it, uh, it's not just about having the correct doctrine but knowing why it, why it matters. So anyways, mm. let's, uh, let's dig into this simple little topic, Jake. We got Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Romans 8, 12 through 17, and El Evangelio de San Juan, capítulo 3, is John 3, <laughs> verses 1 through 17, which includes the famous John 3, 16, but why would that be in Trinity Sunday? What's going on? So, Ooh, let's, good. Uh, well, yeah. just can, uh, can I ask you, uh, what, what's your favorite uh, illustration for the Trinity? <laughs> just kidding. Want to hear my favorite um, illustration? Here it is. Perfect. That's right. I thought you because all the analogies gonna... about water and about eggs and all that sort of stuff. It's a it's a straight path down the uh, down into heresy. I thought you were going to say three in one body wash, but you know it's a it's shampoo, it's conditioner, and it's a body wash. Dove for men. <laughs> That's right. So, but don't use any of those illustrations, everybody. Also, don't use body um, wash. Yeah, mm, stick with no, the bar. No, that's a good so, one. Anyways. That's the one I'm doing with. Uh, but no, I don't use any of those illustrations. They all ultimately revert to some form of modalism or heresy that, you know, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the Trinity is a mystery, and that may sound like a bit of a cop-out in today's world, but what do we mean by mystery? Well, we don't mean mystery in the Scooby-Doo sense. What we mean uh, mystery um, as, as from the Greek word mysterium, which is revelation. This is how God reveals himself to you. He reveals himself to you as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. And uh, this is to be received by faith. And um, um, and the truth is, is that uh, there's an amazing story about um, uh, Indian missionaries once, and uh, or missionaries to India, and they were there, and uh, a young Indian prince had uh, given his life to Jesus, and uh, as a result, his father had made him a Dalit. And uh, what is a Dalit? A Dalit is one of the untouchables in those days. And... Um, 
uh, the missionaries were, were blown away by this because, I mean, he really gave it all up for Jesus, you know. I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm throwing away my terrible records. He gave it all up for Christ. And they were like, the missionaries were so blown away, they literally asked him, why would you do such a thing? <laughs> I mean, we love Jesus, but not that much. <laughs> and they're like, we're Anglican missionaries. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's serious. But anyway. Uh, we love Jesus and was, still have social standing. Maybe you could work out something like that. So, but his, uh, his answer was profound, and he said, um, how can I believe in immortal gods with mortal characteristics? I need an immortal God with immortal characteristics. Mm. And, um, and, you know, the Trinity, the Trinity is just one of those mysteries that, um, that we receive by faith. And if you can figure God out completely, you uh, may not want to worship him. So, um, that's just my thoughts on the Trinity. Yeah, uh, Aaron, do you have any thoughts? Well, I think, you know, we joked in the beginning about all the metaphors and analogies for the Trinity and how they're all kind of wrong. But ultimately, in human language, it's almost impossible to talk about the Trinity without getting it a little bit wrong because mm. it's, it is something it's that is... such a gracious para- response. It's paradoxical. It's, uh, you know, Jesus is... Um, uh, there's lots of paradox in Christianity. It is complex, like you said, and it's it's not an easily understood thing, which makes me give it a little bit more credibility. Like you said, if it was, if God was as easy to understand as that cartoon in of God in Monty Python, he wouldn't be worthy of worship. But if uh, it would be funny, but not worthy of worship. Mm-hmm. So here we have uh, God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, but these are not three gods. It's one mm-hmm. God. God is not in three parts. These are not different faces of one God. It's not God with a mask. Uh, it's it's not that. It's um, it's the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. They are all, each person in the Trinity is fully God, and yet it is not three gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've if you ever find yourself saying the Holy Trinity is like, yeah, it's you're on the wrong path. All you can say is God the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and they are not three gods. They are one God. They are one. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, in the readings we have today, it's not like there is one reading that you can point to. And it's like, this is where the Bible explains the doctrine of the Holy yeah. Trinity. Um, it, um, yeah, it's, yeah. In, it's implied in the scriptures. It's not, it's not, um, it's not like, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. The, the doctrine of the Trinity is implied in the Holy Scriptures because clearly Israel... Uh, uh, worshipped one God, and uh, you know, and uh, and uh, Jesus uh, came to Earth and made the claim to be God, and uh, and then prayed to His Father in Heaven, who was God, and uh, and then promised to send His Spirit, uh, which is His very presence in the midst of His perceived absence. And so, um, these three beings. I mean, it's it's implied in the scriptures. It's not like overt. Like this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, that's right. And and we're, but we see even very early in the New Testament, Paul used to uses and the other letter writers used to begin using these Trinitarian formulas. And even yeah, Jesus formulas. Christ at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, go in forth in all Father, nations, baptizing yeah. people. Yep, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So. Yeah, uh, but it, you see a yeah. majesty in the Trinity, and we see that reflected in all all three readings, beginning right here in Isaiah chapter six. Yeah, Isaiah, who starts talking about Uzziah. Uh, this is the the king of um, Israel who dies in about 740 B.C. 
guy that had contracted leprosy for flouting God's holiness. But uh, so don't do that. Don't get. Don't die. Um, but he died, and in and this sort of contrasts with uh, you know the king that that flouted and kind of mocked God and His holiness. Here you have Isaiah not doing that, getting a vision of God that is so transcendent and so far above. So he sees he he sees a vision of God, and this this passage, by the way, this whole passage is here for us to get understanding of the transcendence and majesty of God the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity. There's nothing Trinitarian in this passage. This is just God the Father, but also God being completely transcendent, completely other, completely bigger than beyond you. what we can comprehend. That's what this passage is supposed That's to right. do. And so it says That's he's right. sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and all Isaiah can bring himself to say, he cannot even describe God. All he can say is the hem of his robe filled the temple. So not even his robe, not even like he had large feet and impressive calves. No, it's just like the the last part of like the little string hanging off the end of his jeans that thing fills the entire temple. And this is a vision of the temple in Jerusalem, but kind of the heavenly temple. The Jerusalem temple is a copy of the heavenly version. And so this is like bigger than you can imagine. And yet just the smallest part of God's robe, and to be clear, God doesn't have a robe. This is a vision, etc. cetera, uh, fills the whole temple. And then he starts talking about these seraphs, which are not angels. They're not the same thing. They're these six winged beings and these heavenly creatures. and. Anyways, they, we're, we don't have to get into all the wings and all, but it's just a crazy vision. And all, again, all God, all Isaiah can say about God is the hem of his robe fills the whole temple. That's, that's the entire description because he's so far above us. It's like saying I met Jacob Smith. It's like, well, what was he like? Well, his shoelaces were green. Like that's, that's like all I can say. Like everything, Jake, you defy yeah. my ability to put your appearance into words. You're so mm. radiant as I look at well, you right now on I, the Zoom screen. That's just the lamp behind my head on the Zoom call. Okay. But anyway, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the, the, the response to being in this presence, the presence of his hem, is not, hey, I'm okay. You know, it's not like, oh, that's great. It is, woe is me. I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a this is very powerful, and this reminds you that oftentimes, you know, um, as God draws near to us, uh, it does not reveal how amazing we are. Um, as God draws near to us, draws near to us, it oftentimes reveals um, how unclean we actually are. Yeah, and the other Yet, thing, this moves us towards the gospel. Exactly, and um, uh, this. Uh, the thing that happens here um, goes directly against how we always hear people talk about God, and which is to say, they always hear all the time. Uh, people reference quote the man upstairs, or I was talking mm. to the big guy, and that whole <laughs> yes. that whole thing. That only exists in the world because of Jesus Christ, by the way. That's right. Because Jesus comes and he says, I have called you friends. That whole idea that we can be close and intimate in a friendly relationship with God who loves us, that only enters the world post-Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He's the one that comes up with this idea. Because before that, it's all of what you see here. It's like trembling, cowering, and God is holy other and all that. So, um, so it's it's... It's good and healthy and right for your congregation to be reminded of the transcendence, otherness, imminence, holiness, untouchability, unfathomability of God. Because if you get that, you realize how 
bonkers crazy it is that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And you realize why everybody around him said that that's totally ridiculous and we reject that and you're either crazy or you're a heretic and we need to kill you because you're claiming to be God. Like this is how they conceive of God and to say that God could be incarnate in human flesh, have eyelashes and pores and sweat glands, like that's crazy. So um, the more you understand the transcendence of God, the more miraculous Jesus Christ becomes. And as you said, you get the holiness. Now you, this opens you up for the gospel because the only proper response to the holiness of God is to say, like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. But this, yeah. and, and then, then you, you, but you see the mercy, the coal which goes and cleanses them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, the angel, the seraphs here are doing uh, the Lord's will, and they take these tongs. And if this is an image from the temple, this would have been right from the uh, the altar of sacrifice, uh, where there was incense and there were coals. And uh, and he takes that which is unclean, and and once again, what does he touch? Not his hands, but he touches his mouth. He touches his lips. And uh, because now what's about to happen is that which is unclean has been made clean uh, from the altar of a sacrifice. And uh, the, the point is, is that now Isaiah is going to be sent forth to preach a word to the people of Israel. And uh, indeed, as unclean as we are, preacher, your mouth has been touched also uh, by the power of this Holy Spirit to proclaim a message to Israel. And as we've said before, it doesn't end in let us it ends in your sins are forgiven. Mm. And so this is the great thing. When God um, wants to get his message across, he doesn't send seraphs. He sends prophets and preachers. That's right. And one of those preachers is St. Paul, who now in our reading uh, in Mm -hmm. the letter to the Romans, chapter 8, where Paul has just spent lots of chapters discussing the gospel Uh, and talking about the uniqueness of Jesus and the fullness of God's grace in Christ now is going to begin to talk a little bit about how we live. And in this passage, the reason this is included in Trinity Sunday is because it's going to bring in the idea of the Holy Spirit, but also connect it to the Father and to the Son. So he says that the way we live the Christian life is by living according to the Spirit. And he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, a lot of people are taught that what this means is, if you have more God feelings, you'll be able to stop wanting to eat Twinkies all the time. Uh, By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Many people hear this as, okay, I need to stop doing the bad things in my body that I do. Uh, sort of through willpower. But the whole point is that this is not a matter of willpower. This is by the Spirit. And what this, to, get, to, to get reconnected to that source of power, and to reconnect it to the Spirit, is to come back to the gospel, which is what Paul does. He reminds them here that you do not re- receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's, that's willpower, moralism, Christianity, which is not really Christianity. Um, if you're trying really hard, to obey God, to make God happy, that's a spirit of slavery based in fear. Uh, And a lot of churches teach that. But he says, no, the spirit of God reminds us that we are children of God and that we have been adopted and that we can call God Abba Father and that that spirit bears witness that we are children of God. So it's by the spirit drives us back to the gospel, drives us back to the loving fatherhood of God. That's how you live according to the spirit, not willpower by trying to feel more Jesus-y, spirit-y feelings. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in order to understand that, you have to place uh, this particular passage within its context. And, uh, and that context is where Paul has rooted your salvation outside of you. Mm. Uh, so, you know, and he roots it in the cross in the previous chapters, uh, which has happened apart from you. And then he's uh, roots it in um, the earlier chapters as well, especially in four, five and six in your baptism, which happens outside of you. And so this is this is very important. And so what he is talking about literally here is a new reality. You know what I mean? You're not living in the flesh. You live by the spirit. This is description. Um, but because it's description, I mean, I love the fact that he doesn't skip on the fact that in, in this life there's suffering, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, suffering is a part of it. Um, but, um, but nonetheless, it's not just vague or for no reason. There's always a purpose to it. Um, but I think that that's another misconception in American Christianity is, is that um, sometimes that Christ is a way around suffering. But mm -hmm. suffering and glory go hand in hand. And we suffer with Christ now so that we will be glorified with him. But as we suffer, you remember, we don't cry out to something abstract. We cry out to someone very specific, Abba, our Father. Yeah, and I think, and I, I meet with people all the time, and, and preachers know this because you probably feel this too. People feel so guilty all the time. Mm. People feel so terrible about themselves all the time. They feel like they're not really doing a good job in basically any area of their life. And if they're coming to church, they're also feeling like they're not very good about that either. Um, people that feel guilty about not coming to church, people who do come to church feel guilty about not like reading the Bible enough or whatever. Everybody's always comparing themselves to some imaginary perfect Christian uh, and just feeling that God is angry at them. That is such a prevalent belief and people feel so guilty. And just, I mean, if you wanted to preach this passage, you can remind them that they have received a spirit of adoption. And if you're living in a spirit of slavery and, and fear, um, then that is the devil talking to you. That is not mm -hmm. God telling you, shape up or I'm going to mm -hmm. be upset. That's the devil telling you that that's what God is like. Because God is the one who has given us the spirit of adoption. And so that we can call him Dad, Abba, Heavenly Father, uh, in a, a, a loving, good, Heavenly Father, and that we are joint heirs with Christ. It says we, we are, He is our brother. Um, and yeah. that's who we are. We are God's children. And, uh, and I think, you know, if you can let people hear this and tell them, I mean, tell your congregation, you know what, you can actually, why don't you this week you pretend like the gospel's true? Why don't you just actually this week just forgive yourself, just for a second, see how it feels. Just forgive yourself and imagine that God actually loves you and see what that does to you psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, because it's true. And then maybe if it works for that one week, maybe you can try it again the week after that and the week yeah. after that. Yeah. I love it. It's key. That's the key word there. You have received. Yes received a past tense word there a gift you've received not you didn't earn it you've received it a spirit of adoption which makes you children and this really brings us into john chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 where uh, jesus really speaks here you have the son of oh, wait, god one more thing one more thing spirit. sorry just i forgot one thing i wanted to say about that romans reading is that we suffer with christ so that we may be glorified with him because we are co-heirs with christ we are his brothers and sisters mm -hmm. god is our father um and I, what Paul is coming against here is that belief that when we suffer, it's because we did something bad. And what That's Paul right. is saying here, no, again, don't fall back in the spirit of slavery, spirit of fear. I did something bad, and that's why God's punishing me. He's like, no, 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 look, Jesus also suffered. So if you're suffering, 
it's just because you're that that's actually means you're with Jesus because that's where he lives. Um, mm-hmm. And so anyways, it, we people so often connect the bad things in their lives to being punished for something they did bad, and that is not what is going on. Anyways, okay, John 3, go ahead. Take it away. Nicodemus, Jesus, Jacob Smith. Yeah, I mean, this is just basically... Uh, you know, this this particular passage contains, and we've talked on this passage before, but contains hands down one of the uh, most important and probably most important passages in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. But the most important thing, and it ties into what we were just talking about in Romans, listen to this. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn you. But in order that the world, you and I, might be saved through him. And uh, that really um, is key. But, I mean, there's a whole context here and everything going on. Jesus meeting with one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. They're meeting at night so that Nicodemus won't be seen by Jesus. And, you know, and they begin to speak about being born from above. And this is the thing, you know, the word born from above or born again has been co-opted as like almost a political term, a section of Christianity that's crazy. But uh, the truth is, is that to be a Christian is to be born again. Um, That's what it is. You are born again. And how are you born again? Well, not by crawling back into your mother's womb. That would be kind of creepy. But by water and the spirit. And this is what happens. This is what's poured into your hearts when you're baptized. And uh, do not be astonished that we say these things to you as Jesus says. You must be born again. And uh, and so and uh, and really that's that's how it goes. And it's done by the spirit. You don't see the spirit. Um, but he is at work in your life, uh, conforming you into Jesus. Anything you want to add there, Aaron? I mean, there's so much in this passage, it's almost too much to, to talk about. And if you, but if you wanted to talk about it, um, the one, of, one of the things that I always want to convey to people on Trinity Sunday is the reason the church holds it so dear, this doctrine of the Trinity, why, and why we devote a day to this really complex theological doctrine and, and want Christians to remember it is because we so often fall into this wrong way of thinking that there's sort of like varsity God, JV God, and then like, you know, farm team God. There's like, there's like this hierarchy as God, the real God, the big guy, quote unquote. There's Jesus. And I hear people all the time, like, I believe in God and Jesus. And they never even talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And it's like, or they only talk about the Holy Spirit, and it's they never talk. Like, yeah. You know, so I think um, I literally was with one person one time, and they were like, "Holy Spirit, praying to the Holy Spirit." The whole, and I was like, and I was thinking in my head, and I was like, "Where in God's name what, were you ever told to pray to the Holy Spirit?" Yeah. You know, like it's we pray to the Father through the in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's all these things in the a proper understanding of the Trinity actually informs our prayer. That's a side note. Yeah, and that's why our colleagues, time, if you're an Episcopalian, they always begin with uh, addressing God, and they mm-hmm. they um, Almighty God. Heavenly Father, something like that. And then the, at the end of the prayer, after you've asked that one thing, it then says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This is a Trinitarian statement. And the key thing that we're trying to get at with the Trinity, the reason it matters here, is if you have a version of God that you see, like God the Father is being the really big one, he's like the, the CEO, and then the like <laughs> senior vice president is Jesus, and then you know, chief of operations maybe is the Holy Spirit or something. Like, you, you, if the other two parts of the Trinity cease to become, cease to be seen by you as God, if they're less than, 
if they're weaker, if they're bit parts, um, then you no longer have a God who's capable of saving you. If Jesus Christ is yeah. not God, he's not capable of saving you. Um, mm -hmm. And if the Holy Spirit is not God, he does not have the power to point you back to the Father and to the Son and to convict you of righteousness and sin and all the stuff that the Holy Spirit does. So, um, the, the Spirit of God is not some, like, idea of God or, like, God's feelings or thoughts or something. It's, it's a person. He is a person. And so, uh, having this mysterious, paradoxical, robust Trinitarian theology ensures that you realize that God is bigger and more, I mean, it's even crazy to say bigger, like bigger than what? God is so beyond our understanding and praise God, because that's what I need. I don't need somebody who's like me. I need somebody who's bigger than that, like by a lot. And, and then each person in the Trinity, because each person in the Trinity is God, they have the power to do the things that they need to do to save us, to redeem us, to sustain us, to sanctify us. If you begin to lose that, you begin to have sort of an impotent fake God, um, and ultimately you will feel like it's all up to you, and you will fail, and it's going to be awful. So, so preach that Trinity and, uh, and hold the paradox closely. Amen. Well, I'm as we, have we, have we solved all the problems. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many more. I, you know, someday we ought to do just a special show on like doctrines and things like that, and walking through, because you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, <clears throat> the crazy things I hear even our colleagues say about the Trinity, and not just Episcopal colleagues, but across the board. Well, I just I even saw it on Episcopalians on Facebook, which I do not recommend. <clears throat> Lord love them, They're my brothers and sisters in Christ, but somebody asked a question, do Episcopalians believe that people must be born again? And there were a lot of people that said yes. Uh, I mean, golly, it's in our prayer book. But uh, <laughs> there were people like, no. And they're probably coming out of what you were saying, Jake, like they assume it's some sort That's of political right. movement or some kind of flavor of Christianity. But John 3 absolutely says that you have to be born again, born anew, born from above. However you want to describe it, it is a new beginning. And totally cool with talking about it in every situation other than Christianity. We're okay with people going to a sweat lodge and having some sort of vision, ecstatic experience and turning over a new leaf in their life. We're okay with people having a midlife crisis, getting into therapy and saying, I've, I'm, I'm a new person. But when Jesus talks about it, we're like, no, no, don't talk about that. And that's only because of like televangelists and all that stuff, that people have this allergic reaction to it. Yeah. But, I mean, golly, if you don't want to be born again, I don't, you're not paying attention because everybody's life is a mess and we don't need just more of trying harder to do the same thing. We need to get born again, baby. No kidding. I tell everybody I'm, I need to be born again about every 15 minutes. Amen. You know, I mean, Amen. I lose my cool. I, uh, you know, so, I mean, it is good news that uh, like it going full circle back to Isaiah, God takes unholy things and he makes them holy. Yeah. He purifies them and he cleans them up. And uh, makes them not just better, but brand new. Mm. And never forget that. He's at work in your life. This Trinity, the God who created you, is the same God who's died to save you. And is the same God who's with you in your darkest hour. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on three. Hallelujah. All right. That'll do it. Bye. Talk to you later. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. 
Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.